Welcome to episode 14 of Tea in the Law of Raspberry Jam with me, Esther Derby, and Victor Sesson. We've talked about entering systems, we've talked about observing systems, we've talked about shifting systems, and today we're going to talk about exiting systems. And I can tell you a story about a team that I coached at Spotify. The team was called AC. They were working with analytical computation and their neighbor team was DC, so that data collection. And that was really fun because they were AC-DC at a music streaming service. At least I thought it was a really funny wordplay. So I'd been working with this team. This team had grown a lot. And I started at Spotify as an employee and we had embedded team coaches back then. And it was my first real time that I would be embedded in a team and not just working as a consultant. And there was a lot of different work to be done in this team. It turned out that we actually had three different purposes that we were filling. And in growing really quickly and in having so many different needs, there were lots of challenges in the team. Some of these were interpersonal because we needed to get to know each other and figure out some you know, ways of working. Some of these were process-related, like how do we deal with very different types of work? And some of these were also about priority, like which ones are more important, and over time, which ones are more important? And so we had quite a lot to work with. And after about a year of working with this team, we did a reorg. We used to do one in my tribe when I worked there, one per year at least. And in this new organization, there were other teams that had a higher need for support. And so it was time for me to move on. And so I didn't just want to leave this team because that felt really weird. When I would have been a consultant working at a company, that would have just been like the manager might have said that, okay, now it's time to end our contract with Victor. But here, that didn't feel right. And also, it didn't really feel right doing it in the past either. But so here I had a conversation with the team and I said, hey, here's what's happening. And I'm going to eventually need to leave this team. And I'd like to have a conversation with you about some of the things that you think we need to talk about or sort out before. I leave. And we had a conversation and some people were really sad. And I would say most people actually seemed unaffected by it. And so after we worked together for, I think it was about one and a half months. So we worked together and then I left the team and joined the new team. So that was how I exited this team. So how did you feel about leaving that team? At the time, I felt when I left the team, nothing really negative happened. And at the time, I felt that that was a reflection on either that they didn't like me. So like, oh, they never cared for me. So now they're super happy that I left them or that I wasn't really adding that much value. So nothing really happened when I left them. Hmm. Well, I think there's a different way to look at that, which is that you didn't make the team dependent on you, which I think is a big success. Absolutely. And now I agree with you. At the time, it didn't really feel that way. Sure. I think a lot of us are explicitly or implicitly kind of given the expectation that as coaches and consultants, we're supposed to be the heroes and we're supposed to solve problems for people. But I think that's actually counterproductive. Yeah. We had worked a lot on that, transferring knowledge to the team, and they were able to use a lot of that on their own. And so they just continued working and applying what you had worked with them on even after you left. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge success. I do agree today. So the point here is that you talked about entering, observing, and shifting systems, and we want people to be intentional with that. 
but the same goes for exiting systems. So be intentional with how you exit a system. And that's what I was when I included the team and how I would leave the team, when I would leave the team, what we had to accomplish together before they felt comfortable with me leaving. I think it's just as important to be intentional there as it is in the other aspects of coaching any system. So I think it increases the safety for the system and for you because the expectations are more clear. You're not increasing dependency. You're increasing the team's capacity. And that's really what it's about. It's about increasing the team's or the system's competency and capacity, not making them dependent on you. And that's not always possible to exit in a really smooth way. I worked in a system a few years ago where we actually made some good progress. They were more able to look at what the current situation was and do adaptive planning, and they had moved away from blaming. But in the end, the division was sold. And in this new circumstance with new leadership, that system pretty much reverted to where they had been although individuals retained what they had gathered from us. So they may have taken that on to other places where they were. Yeah, I see that happening a lot, and I've personally been a part of that too. When I haven't been intentional or when I've left too early, you know, systems reverting. It really points, again, to why it's really important to be intentional. Yeah. When I met Jerry Weinberg, he was consulting to the company I worked for, and he left in an abrupt way, not of his own choosing, and much of what he accomplished had to kind of go underground. But a lot of us who had worked closely with him while he was there went on to do other really interesting things because our expectations had been changed forever about what was possible and you know what the possibilities were for creating the way of working that was not the way we had been working in that company. Let's look at some ways that people can be intentional and as well dig into some other things that are really important when you exit a system. Let's start with some ways you can be intentional. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, so actually a lot of these start well before your exit point is in sight. So you may start these things soon after you enter a group because you always have to be thinking about how am I going to leave this group? How am I going to leave this company, this system? having transferred some actionable knowledge and some implicit knowledge to them. So I think one way is when you're working with a group, act as a guide. So you demonstrate or you offer options or think out loud and work out loud so that as you are going through a thought process, you're articulating the whys behind your thinking and the trade-offs about what you're thinking. That's a great way to reveal implicit knowledge and in the long term reduce dependency because it builds their capacity to do the work. As you go through that and as they gain some more comfort in going through it with you, thinking about the options, thinking about the trade-offs, articulating them, they begin to pick up that habit. So if I would have heard this like six, seven, eight years ago, I would have struggled with this. And I still struggle with this today. So maybe you can help me a little bit. Am I not supposed to give solutions or come with conclusions on like, here's what's not working, here's what we need to figure out, and here's how we are going to do it? Is that, how do I do if I'm a coach in a team and I work as a guide, am I not supposed to have those solutions? Well, sometimes you do. I mean, I get paid for my expertise, as I'm sure you get paid for your expertise. And I don't believe that it's fruitful to leave people flailing or asking them 200 leading questions to try to get them to a particular conclusion. 
But you can do this in all sorts of ways. When I'm working with a group to learn how to have effective retrospectives, for example, I may facilitate the first retrospective. I may have the biggest say in the topic for the first retrospective based on my observations and based on my expertise. But after that, I start working with people to facilitate their own retrospectives. So the first time it might be someone partners with me, you know, I walk them through my decision process. I walk them through why are we choosing a particular topic. I work with them to figure out how to pick a topic or a focus for the retrospective. I'll talk them through how I'm designing the retrospective. They may participate in facilitating it, and then we debrief afterwards about how the facilitation went and what were the choices we made and how they played out and what we might do differently in another situation or if that situation came up again. So context matters. Yeah. So what I also started doing today is I also look at, to the extent that it's possible, it's not always, the team dynamics. Like, is this team based on where they are today or is this something that they seem to be able to solve what can i demonstrate or offer options on that's not always possible if you only have limited observations but if they're really new like if everyone is new together in the team maybe they don't have enough comfortability and safety to engage in really difficult topics and so then you don't just offer options well so then you start with smaller topics and you might offer options on a smaller topic like you always figure out some place to start, and my impulse is usually to start with the smallest thing that might shift things or open up some further possibilities. So let's move on to the next one. You also write about this one in your book. It's activating social networks to engage in socially constructed learning. Because we learn through conversations, and when we share our experiences and solve problems together, we learn. And the networks that we can help teams build may span across organizational boundaries. Because if you look at a value stream, they're not often contained within just one part of an organization. So here you're trying to build an, a bigger network that's necessary for that value stream. So this social learning and these connections that you can help them form will support them to retain and continue learning without you. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that happens when you activate social networks that way is that in my experience, very often, this may be the first time that people are actively engaging with people outside their own function or, you know, their near neighbor functions. So they're getting a broader view of the system, which will stay with them so that even after you leave, they will have those connections into a broader view of the system and probably take more aspects into account when they're making decisions or taking actions or designing something. We'll go through some examples a little bit later on on how you can do that. So another thing I do sometimes is I'll set something up so people can do their own work, but then offer feedback as they go. So just so we're clear, setting the stage, this might mean creating an opportunity for an exercise or for a conversation or for a problem solving. Yep. So how does this help a system after you leave? they're getting feedback on how they are working together. I mean, I often do a sort of contract with people about, well, what do you want me to observe and what do you want me to be attending to while you're working? And it becomes a negotiation where I will then say, and I would also like to be able to tell you when I see this, that, or the other thing going on, which I think is important for you to learn about. And so we have that sort of contract where they're going to be doing some work and I'm going to be observing them and sharing my observations about it, which raises their level of knowledge about 
their group dynamics, their decision-making, whatever it is in some ways that they choose they want to be more aware of. And I have found that those insights often cross contexts. So they may learn it in the context of a particular team, but they again will take that knowledge or insight they got about how groups work with them to the next group they work with. Maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I'm curious. So if you're engaging in this contract, creating this contract, and you're curious about, you know, what would you like me to observe? And they're like, we're just happy that you're here. Can you just tell us whatever you think? They don't set the context in any way. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, I might offer them some things I am willing to give them feedback about. So I could say, okay, well, here are some of the things that I could be helpful with. And then they can choose. Very often then they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, that would be helpful to us. Another way to be intentional, if we're moving on, is to facilitate problem solving. And there are, you know, when we spoke about this, in my mind, there were two ways that I thought about this. One is we demonstrate how to break down problems. We help them create a process that supports the group to move forward. And another is to just go in and lead the problem solving. And here we're not talking about leading the problem solving. Here we're more talking about facilitating problem solving as a process. I mean, it's certainly helpful to lead problem solving implications, but if that's the only way you're helping the team, you're not building that autonomy. Sure. I've seen people come in and lead really lovely facilitated sessions, and they come to a good outcome with the group, or the group comes to a good outcome through the process, but yet the group doesn't necessarily learn anything about problem solving or facilitating. So the next time they have a big problem, they're stuck again. So I think if you're doing it over a period of time, rather than as a one-time effort, I think it's much more likely that people are going to become aware of the process. And if you can talk them through it, even in the way you set up the workshop, and I suspect this is what you do, you tell them, here's the process we're going through, and here's why it will be helpful in this particular context, then they're much more likely to internalize that. Absolutely. A example that comes to mind is very recently, I helped a group of engineers. There was an organization with 20 teams, and we created a problem-solving process for engineering issues that span across all teams. And so we took a lot of influence from sociocracy and the way they deal with problem solving. We went from consensus to consent and we talked about why. And we really visualized the process. We talked about where it stems from, how it works. And we did this in every meeting. And we also talked about what was this like for you as a participant? What was this like for you as someone who were the one to create an issue? And so we talked about this a lot of times. The information is available in written form, and there is also an onboarding process if you're new to this. So if we replace someone in a team, they get onboarded into the process outside of the team meeting, and they can take as much time as they want to on that. So it wasn't just you coming in as the hero facilitator. It sounds like you were really making it clear what the process was, why it was chosen, what it was useful for and how to participate in it, which makes it much more likely that people are going to be able to replicate it when you're gone. Yeah, and they really appreciated the process a lot. I heard that several people were trying to replicate this in their teams. And so here is where I could have also helped them spread this across different teams. Unfortunately, I didn't have time for that. But so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they're probably doing it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they want to do it at least. We can be hopeful. Let's uh, move on to the next example of ways to be intentional. 
Yeah. So I think sometimes it's helpful to create structures that will last after you leave. And these don't have to be formal structures. They can be kind of informal ones, but some of them can be quite formal. Can you give a few examples? So in some companies, we just established an informal get-together with people who had been through certain trainings together, leadership trainings, and they had a very lightweight structure. And we had enough time to establish those and establish value in them so that people chose to continue them after we left. A couple of that I see a lot at companies are Lean Coffee. And then a few that I've been working with a lot is Book Circles and having some sort of either wiki for specific topics. So like information platforms is a very clinical word, but so that could be a wiki, that could be weekly or monthly emails, or it could be a dashboard or sorts. So what are the challenges in having those remain active after you've moved on to another client or onto another system? Do you have any ideas about that? So book circles is something I've been thinking about a lot. A lot of people think that to run a book circle, there's a high threshold, like, oh, I need to know so much. And the expectations on yourself as someone who creates or leads a book circle is really high in terms of like, how do I hold it? Who do I gather? Do I need to have all the answers? And so one of the ways I've done at my most frequent client is when I hold a book club, I create a facilitation guide. So here are the exercises you can run if you want to, or here's a format that you can run if you want to. And they took one of those books, this most recent client, they took one of those books and they started running it themselves. One of the PMs there thought that this book club actually helps me to engage with my mission. So if I run this in the entire company, more people are going to make better decisions. And so he, he just started running that. Oh, that's great. It's a fantastic way to diffuse knowledge through an organization and it's activating the social network at the same time. So another thing that occurs to me is that sometimes it's possible when you leave your formal engagement, there are ways you can engage informally with people afterwards. So I always make it clear to people that I'm happy to hear from them. Some people I did work with years ago, and I still hear from them from time to time. And some people who, you know, I worked with their companies in the past, every once in a while someone I worked with years ago will show up at a training. So it's a way to support what you were trying to accomplish and what the company was trying to accomplish, even after you're no longer there formally. So another example, I'm not sure, would this create as a structure, helping the company recruit people who know things that they have been trying to learn? Yep. And that's a way of bringing the skills in-house that they had hired you to bring in from outside the house. So all of these examples, these ways we've been talking about have been under the key point to be intentional. There are a couple more key points. One is to plan your exit with the team. So when are you going to leave? What knowledge do you think as a coach that, oh, here's something I wish I would have passed on before I leave? And what does the team or the system hope that you could pass on before you leave? Yeah, I love that because that gives the team agency in choosing what is important to them. And it also starts a reflection and learning cycle that they can continue. I think the final thing is to help people to celebrate, remember, and mourn. So doing maybe a tiny a little retrospective when it's time for you to go. Or in Sweden, we do fikas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a fikaspective. A fikaspective. I love it. 
So that's one thing that I think that reflection also helps the team see or the system see or whatever group it is you're working with, how far they've come, you know, where they've started. And it helps them kind of catalog what they learned and what they're doing differently, which also makes it more likely that they'll consciously retain it. I've worked with a lot of teams or organizations that early say, oh, we would like to be better at acknowledging good things we're doing. We'd like to be better at celebrating. And then they struggle with it. And then we do these either quarterly or bi-yearly or the end of assignment check-ins to see like what's happened. And they are always amazed that, wow, how much has changed. We don't really think about the small shifts we make because we live in this reality, in this here and now. And we're so busy with now and the future that we don't look back. We don't compare it to the past. Well, and it's also hard to detect very small changes. It's like, I mean, you have small kids. You may not, when a kid wakes up on a given day, you may not say, oh, my child is different today. But if you look at a picture of them from a month ago or two months ago or a year ago, the changes are dramatic. So the things that stand out are like, oh, he learned to walk, he learned to do some particular thing. But there's myriad other changes that just aren't visible until you stand back and have a broader look at the time that has passed. One VP of product that I worked with, when new PMs would join his organization, he used to tell them that as soon as he makes an insight, whether it's a micro insight or a huge insight, write it down. Because as soon as you make the insight, you internalize it, and then you can't remember a reality where you didn't have this insight. So just write it all down. That's what he asked his PMs to do so that they could share it within their team and outside of their teams so that these insights became shared. And the same goes, I think, if you can help an organization note down differences that they are noticing, whether they're small or big, as they're going in real time, I think that's going to be huge. Yeah. So both in real time and retrospectively, I think is super helpful. It helps people remember what we have learned, what it used to be like, what it's like now, and it increases their agency. Because in the end, any company, no matter how much we guide and help, the people who are there are the ones who have to actually make the changes. So what else do you want to say? So when we start talking about this, I said that I used to be a little bit uncomfortable with exiting systems. And you asked me to share a little bit more about that. And I think it's quite common. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But to me, it seems like for some people like me, it's like, oh, I'm losing relationships. I need to flex with the level of intimacy or like strengths of relationships. The strengths of the relationships are going to go down and suddenly I have to be fine with that. And that makes people uncomfortable with even thinking about it. So I think they procrastinate a lot. And then I think some people, they're like, oh, this is so fun. I'm going to have this new thing. And so they forget to exit the system because they're already focused on the future. So I think people, for different reasons, don't think about exiting systems. That reminds me of PSL and some other workshops I've done or attended where the learning is really intense and you really form connections with people and you feel like you're going to be lifelong friends and things, you know, we're going to get together as a group every <laughs> two months and talk about what we've learned. And that usually lasts uh, two months. Yeah. <laughs> and then it falls apart because the context has changed. The container has changed. So I think you're right. People are uncomfortable with it. But, you know, when we are working intensely with a team or management group or whatever, it's, you know, it's a temporary container. It's ephemeral. It's going to dissolve at some point. And we have to be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. As coaches and consultants, we have to get to a point where we are. Yeah. I am often curious about what happens to organizations after I go. And sometimes I hear about it and sometimes I don't. Same here. Do you want to add anything? 
No, I think we've covered it. I think one of the biggest things is to figure out how to transfer your implicit knowledge so that people can actually not just learn the surface, they can learn what's underneath. Yeah. So now we're in wrap-up, so let's just continue with that. And then plan your exit with the team. Ghosting is not respectful to anyone involved, so I think it's really important to plan it and acknowledge it. So one thing also before we end today's episode is that we talked about exiting systems, but we're not talking about dissolving systems because those are two different things when you're like closing a system altogether. So this is about exiting a system that's going to remain after you leave. All right. If you have any questions about this, just drop us an email on hello at thelawofjam.com or ping us on LinkedIn or send us a tweet at Twitter. Share your examples of how you've been exiting systems or ask us questions. We'd love to hear from you. We would love to hear from people. And until next time, see you later. Talk to you next time, Victor.